The main focus today is ecclesial unity, unity within the church. And there's really two main points in the readings on unity in the church. The first is there are diverse gifts and ways to live out Catholicism. The second is not causing scandal or leading others to sin. Both of these, the diverse gifts and ways to live out Catholicism and not causing scandal and leading others to sin, both of these build up the unity of the church. The context for our gospel today, just earlier in this chapter of Mark's gospel, there's a passage of a man who is trying to get an unclean spirit removed from his loved one. And he says to Jesus, I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And then Jesus actually casts out this spirit, and later his disciples asked him about it privately, and they say, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind can not be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. So already the disciples are a little wounded here. They haven't been able to cast out this demon. And so they're asking themselves, well, what is, what is our role? They've just witnessed the transfiguration. So they're debating who's the greatest among themselves. And they're totally missing the whole object of the building up of the kingdom. And Jesus gives this teaching. When the disciples witness again, someone glorifying the Lord who's not in their group, this causes them some anxiety. So they say, Lord, we tried to stop this person from casting out this demon. And Jesus, of course, tells them not to. Now, the Old Testament linked to the New Testament, the Old Testament talks about the Spirit coming down upon 70 elders within the camp. Two were outside the camp, and yet they still received the Spirit and prophesied in the name of the Spirit. So some of Moses' disciples come and say, well, stop these men from prophesying. They're not in the camp. They're not one of us. Therefore, they should not prophesy at all. Moses' response is the same as Jesus's, which is, would that all people would prophesy? It's not important that they follow you. It's important that they're mouthpieces for the one true God. That's what matters. It doesn't matter if we're from Moses or if we're from John the Apostle. What matters is that we're from Christ and we're from God. Now, a practical application for this, this different gifts given from different sources, one application for us is when we have jealousy for others' gifts. Now, I wish I could tell stories like Father Dan and Father Richard. They could take the most mundane moment of life and make it an enthralling story that is so appropriate to the scriptures. Well, that's not one of my gifts. I don't know Father Joe's superior knowledge that he has of the saints. He's incredible in his knowledge of the saints. He, he has over 60,000 followers on YouTube. I've told you this before, perhaps. It's just astounding but it's because he knows the lives of the saints so well. But it's important when we look at other people's gifts that we don't become envious or jealous. We need to understand the gifts that we've received from God are valuable and they're meant for the building up of his kingdom in whatever specific way we're called to do. 
There's no cause for jealousy in the body of Christ. Many people have many different gifts. Now, a second application of this diverse gifts and ways to live out Catholicism is perhaps where we found the best way to live out our faith. For example, some people have really been touched by the charismatic movement. Others are really enthusiastic about the Latin Mass. Some are third-order Franciscans. They're called secular Franciscans. But they subscribe to the way of St. Francis and follow his life very closely. Others look at Opus Dei. Others look at communion and liberation out of Italy. All of these movements within the church, all these spiritualities are completely valid. But what's important is that we share our joy of our experience with these different aspects and different movements, but we don't impose upon others these different spiritualities. It would be wrong to say, this is the only way to live out Catholicism, to say the charismatic movement or the Latin Mass or secular Franciscans. There are so many different ways to live out Catholicism within the Catholic Church. And so it's not important for us to say this is the only way. What's important is to share our joy with what ignited our faith and to share that with one another and invite people. It's okay to invite people. What's not okay is to say this is the only way to be Catholic and to impose upon others the way that we've really caught fire with the faith. We must share our joy but not impose our way of Catholicism on others. So that's diverse gifts and ways to live out Catholicism for the building up of the church. We're not jealous of other people's gifts, and we're excited about the ways in which our faith has been enlivened. Now the second aspect, this talk of anyone who causes one to sin, these little ones should have a millstone thrown about his neck and tossed into the sea, or at least that would be better, and if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. What is the meaning and application of these passages for us? And that gets us to the second part of the unity of the church in our readings. The second aspect of unity of the church is not causing scandal. And I'm going to take something, an example from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, because he's absolutely genius, and it's very applicable to this scripture and then we can look at practical applications from St. Paul. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is talking about food offered to idols, not something we usually have to deal with. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Do not seek your own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now listen closely. This is a very interesting passage. He says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go. Eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Then in parentheses he says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then out of consideration for the man who informed you and for his conscience's sake, I mean his conscience, not yours. Do not eat it. Okay, what on earth does that mean? What is going on here? So an important thing to know about Corinth is the meat markets in Corinth 
all had meat that was previously offered to different pagan gods. Because unlike the Jews, where you offered an offering on the altar and it was all burned up or eaten by the priest, the people who were pagan would take the very meat that they just offered to Pan or to uh, Athena or Jupiter, whatever. They would offer that sacrifice and then they'd take that same food and bring it to the meat markets. Then they would sell that food to others and others would consume it. Now the danger is when you eat a sacrifice, you participate in it. That's why it's so important that we receive the Eucharist. The sacrifice is offered to God but we participate in the sacrifice. We're made one with the sacrifice when we eat of it. So this question of conscience is specific because Corinth is a mix of Jews and Gentiles. For a Jewish person, they don't care. An idol doesn't exist for them. It's not scandalous to a Jew to eat food offered to an idol because they know that idol doesn't exist. But it's not true for a recent convert from the Gentile community. For a Gentile who has worshipped idols his entire life, to eat food offered to an idol seems to give scandal. It seems to give credence to that idol. So what St. Paul is specifically saying is, when someone says, oh, that food, that was offered to an idol, then don't eat it. Don't cause the other person to sin even if all things are free for you. That's why he says all things are lawful for a Jew, but not all things are helpful. That's the importance of scandal. We might do actions that cause another person to sin, and it's not sinful for us, but we still must refrain from those actions when we're around those people. Now, a very practical application, if anyone has alcoholism in the family, what's the one thing you don't do when the alcoholic relative is in your house. You don't start drinking in front of them, right? If alcohol is not a problem for you, that's okay. You can drink. But you don't drink in front of them because you don't want to cause them to sin. So again, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. So it's willingly restraining ourselves from something that's not a problem so we don't give offense or scandal to another person. So in conclusion, St. Paul says, give no offense to Jew or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please all men in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So that one line, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, that is thrown around so often in the Christian community it actually applies to not giving scandal. Why is St. Paul asking others to imitate him? Because he always has the good of the other in mind. Whenever we're with others, if their conscience is weak on a particular point, that's the thing we do not do in front of them. So what's a practical application of this? Giving scandal, when it's not necessarily sinful for us. So taking minor issues that we're all believers, but taking minor issues that cause others to have infighting and dissension and division, those are things that we should refrain from. So I'm not just talking about Notre Dame and Purdue football. I think they both have 
great football programs, and I acknowledge that Father Doerr is an avid Purdue fan, but we don't talk about it in the rectory because obviously um, it would cause dissension. So I don't, you know, I don't want to bring that up in front of Father Richard. But in more practical matters, there are so many things in the world, especially right now, that we can see on the news, that we talk with each other about. And those issues can become so inflammatory and cause such anger and dissension and hatred among believers. It's amazing. I think to myself, we all are on the same page. We are pro-life. We come to Mass every Sunday. We do everything that we can to live out our faith well. And why are these people coming to grips over something that we can both be Catholic and hold these opposite positions? I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about very specific issues that may cause really arguments and division. Those issues, if you know that this person is weak in conscience on this issue, do not bring it up with that person. If we are both believers, we both hold true to the faith, and all that is entailed. We recite the creed together. As long as we hold everything in that creed together in unity, if we know that there's an issue, that if we bring it up, it will cause division and fighting, then do not bring it up, right? It might be lawful to you, but it might not be helpful. So on those practical matters, when we're all believers and we see an issue that's causing division, remember to love first. Do not let that issue become a division in our conversations with relatives and friends and co-workers and other parents on the soccer field, whatever it may be. But those are the very issues of scandal that we need to avoid. That's exactly what Christ is talking about. That's exactly what St. Paul is talking about. Who cares if the meat was offered to idols? If you're in front of a pagan, don't eat it. If you're in front of a Jew, it doesn't matter. You can eat it. These matters affect us deeply. What I want to encourage all of us to do is to recognize where we stand to hold fast to the truth of Jesus Christ. And if there's not a matter that's stipulated in our creed or that we know per se to be true, that there's room in our conscience for one person to believe one thing and one person to believe another, and you can see the fight coming from afar, do not bring up that matter. Just as we do not impose upon others what our own favorite spirituality is, We don't impose our views when those can cause dissension or division. And this is the greatest consolation in the midst of the church unity. So we're talking about unity among gifts, unity of different ways of living Catholicism, and unity that is not destroyed by division over matters that are earthly. The key that Christ brings us back to, the great consolation that we have are these words. For whoever is not against us is for us. What a consolation that is. If we can look across and look at one another and truly love our neighbor and be able to say, we both believe in this creed, we know what it means to be Catholic, we're both striving for holiness, then praise God. Whoever is not against us is for us. 
Let us not allow any matters to come between us and be cause for division when it's not a matter of doctrine or absolute truth. Instead, let us find the beautiful ways and expression of our Catholic faith and live those to the full, share our joy, and use our individual gifts for the building up of God's kingdom.